0: I was very fortunate early in my ministry to have a closet for an office. This particular closet slash office, I was low man on the totem pole, was adjacent to the church's fellowship hall. The only way you could get into my office was was to go through that space. And in this fellowship hall, every Monday around lunchtime, an AA group would gather for their weekly meeting. Normally, I would leave my office long before they arrived, but occasionally I would lose track of time and get stuck inside my office, my closet, excuse me. Now, I never saw the faces of the people who attended that meeting, but their voices, some of their voices became familiar to me. And the more I heard them talk and share, the more I realized what a gift being stuck in that office was. Because during that hour, I learned how important it is to remember how your story with God began. It didn't matter if they'd been sober for years or for just that day. But before anyone in that group in that meeting would speak, they would say who they were and why they were there. They always began with, I'm Bob or I am Susie and I'm an alcoholic. Which, looking back, it was such a smart move, a smart decision. Because being a part of a group can really cloud your memory. If you spend enough time in a certain place with a certain group of people at a certain time, for a certain period of time, you slowly but surely forget what brought you to to that place in the first place. This is one of the challenges that Jesus faced early on in his ministry. When he found the disciples, they were nobodies, who were just thrilled to be asked by this rabbi to join his group. But after a couple of years in that inner circle, they began to argue amongst themselves who among them was the greatest, the best. And they even began to question the company that Jesus kept. It's really hard to see when we are experiencing the joy and peace of being in the fold, in the family. But groups, by their very nature, are exclusive. This exclusivity is what gives them their power and their pull. We all want to be part of something special because we all want to be special. And as we grow more comfortable in our new surroundings, our new family, we forget Slowly but surely, we forget what it feels like to be on the outside looking in. A former colleague of mine liked to compare the church to a campfire. For those standing around the fire, church is a place of warmth and connection. As they encircle the flames, hands held, the faces around the fire shine like the sun. But for those outside the circle... On the outside, looking in, the light and the warmth of the fire is obscured by the tightness of the group, and all they see are the dark backs of complete strangers. In today's passage we come across those scribes and Pharisees grumbling again because Jesus seems to forget once again who he is and to whom he belongs. He's a Jew a member of a community of faith that takes very seriously its identity as God's chosen people. And yet here he is again associating with outsiders and the worst kind at that, tax collectors and sinners. What could he be thinking hanging out with them instead of spending time with us, his own people? The Reverend Will Willimon loves to say that the gospel is good news or bad news depending on where you happen to be standing when you receive the news. For those the world considers lost beyond hope, beyond repair, this passage is nothing but good news as it teaches clearly that God gets more excited, more joyful at someone being found than God does 99 other people who manage to stay together in the fold which of course is why the scribes and the Pharisees and those of us who are regular churchgoers get a little annoyed by these two parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin. As we hear about all that joy in heaven that's expressed when a coin or a sheep is found, we wonder to ourselves, what about me? What about us? What about those of us who do the right thing or try to do the right thing each and every day? What about those of us who generally play by the rules, who didn't ever wander off from the fold? What about us? What about the 99 who didn't lose their way? Fair questions. You can ask them. But they are questions asked only if you confuse God's invitation for an affirmation. Be clear. None of us are here this morning because we have our life more put together than other people. We are not here because we passed some special spiritual competency test. In fact, if the gospel is to believe, the opposite is true. We are here because at some point in our lives, all of us were so utterly lost that we willingly and perhaps even eagerly responded to God's invitation to be part of this or another community of faith. We were so desperate, we said yes to this. The trouble is, after a while, as we grew accustomed to one another, to this place, to our traditions, to our practices, as we grew more and more comfortable around that fire, we forgot. We forgot why brought, God brought us here in the first place. Presbyterian minister Michael Lindvall recounts a story growing up in the UP in Michigan. He says, I remember with fondness an older couple who were friends of my parents. John and May were second generation Finns. Before retirement, John had been the manager of the National Wildlife Refuge near Kotzebue in western Alaska. Now, Kotzebue is really remote, even remote for Alaska. In fact, when John and May lived there in the 1950s, the supply ship that came in from the outside world only came to them once a year. You just can't grow anything up that far north, so all your food for the entire year, except for local game, came in on that boat. Some vegetables and eggs, meats, canned goods, flour, and sugar. People flew in food, of course. That was one way to bring it in. But that was so expensive, you had to order food for the whole year, too. So people would freeze what they could and hope the rest just kept. Now, John and May liked eggs for breakfast. Every morning, they'd have two or three eggs for breakfast. So every year, they ordered a lot of eggs on that boat, enough for the entire year. Now, I didn't know this, but you... You can't freeze eggs. You can, but I wouldn't recommend it. But they actually keep pretty well if you refrigerate them, which is pretty easy in Alaska to do. What's funny is refrigerated eggs don't go rotten. What they do is slowly but surely change. Every morning, John and May would take out their two or three eggs, crack them, Beat them, put them in the pan, and enjoy a nice meal. And they tasted fine each and every morning. They never noticed the change one day to the next as the weeks and the months would go by. After 12 months, there they were eating year-old eggs, waiting for the boat to come with the fresh ones. Finally, the boat would, as it always did, arrive. I mean, imagine fresh eggs after a year of eating eggs that had been around for 12 months. Well, John and May would crack those eggs, beat them, fry them up, and they tasted absolutely awful. (laughs) May said they would spit out the fresh eggs and search the freezer for a, a couple of older eggs that were still lying around. They'd gotten so accustomed to the stale eggs, one day at a time, that they actually liked them better than the fresh ones. The Pharisees and scribes just can't understand why Jesus spends all his time looking for lost souls because they have slowly forgotten, one day at a time, that day too were once found by God when they were lost and alone. They had forgotten over time that God is primarily about love rather than rules, and therefore about joy rather than anger or fear or impatience or all the other things it's so easy to imagine God being about. This is not a club. This is a search party. This is a rescue mission. We are found by God in our wanderings so we can help God find others in theirs, And in the process of all that searching, remind ourselves and them of God's endless mercy and redeeming grace. There's a story about a farmer in northern Minnesota many years ago who, while working in his kitchen, had his child, his infant son, next to him. He got distracted while making dinner, and the toddler toddled out of the house and into the giant wheat field that surrounded their home. After a little while, the father realized the child was gone and began to frantically search the field for his lost son. When he could not find the baby in the immediate vicinity of the farmhouse, he called his wife, and together they searched up and down the rows of wheat to no avail. When that didn't work, they summoned all the farmhands they could holler to, and several hours later, when the child had still not been found, finally they called the townspeople in those of every vocation, economic level, and religious faith, they were all called in and they were all wandering through the wheat, walking and running in every which direction, searching for that child. After a while, a town elder who had seen nearly everything suggested quietly that instead of going off in all different directions, what if, what if we join hands, form one large circle, spread out, and then close in together, encompassing every inch of land. They all agreed that searching together in a circle made a lot of sense. So that's what they did. The people joined hands to form a giant circle around the wheat field, carefully examining every inch of land as they walked the path in front of them, narrowing the circle as they searched until someone reached down, picked up the child who had fallen asleep, and handed him back to his father. And when he handed him back to his father, father, the whole community, the whole circle erupted in joy. That's how God feels every time someone who's lost is found. That's how God feels every time someone is drawn back into relationship with God. Or chooses life. Or lives into his or her potential. Or helps out another person and in all these ways is found. Joy is what God feels: pure, unbounded joy. So much so we're told, the angels in heaven can't help but to sing. You will hear some of the stories in the coming weeks as we celebrate Fairmount's first 100 years of ministry and mission. But I've come to believe this church was always at its best when it encircled lost people with love. This church was always its strongest when it saw itself as part of God's great search party, looking for those who don't have a home, a place, a pillow to lay their head, those who were lost and alone, frightened, scared, addicted, and confused. That's when this church throughout its history has been at its best. I know we don't often find ourselves as part of an actual search party that digs through the rubble or walks through the field or wanders through the city streets, but in our own brokenness, it's hard to believe, but in our own brokenness, God uses us to find other people. At work, at home, at school, through this congregation, in your places of volunteering, God uses us to find other people. This is the work to which we have been called. And it's a work that the Bible tells us leads to joy, both in heaven and here on earth. We are participants in and benefactors of God's great and glorious search party. We are not special. We are not favored. We have simply been found likely through other people who were once lost themselves, who in response to God's glorious invitation joined the circle and joined the search. You're going to be asked in the coming weeks to do more for other people, to care more for other people, to serve in new and difficult at times ways. And it's really hard to have compassion for the other, for the outsider, for the stranger. It's hard to have compassion for them if you haven't experienced first the compassion of another person. So I'm wondering, how would your life change if you took a moment each and every day before you came to church, went to work, got up in the morning, if you paused for just a second to remember that once you were lost and now you are found? Would you be more compassionate and more understanding? Would you be more patient with others and with yourself? Would you be more welcoming and open to new things? If you pause to remember what brought you here in the first place, do you think you might experience a bit more joy? I think you would, because there is more joy in heaven and in the kingdom of heaven here on earth over one sinner who finds her way home than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Hallelujah and Amen.